You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, the podcast for marketing professionals in higher education. Join us every week as we talk to the industry's greatest minds in student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where marketing and higher ed is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. My name is Troy Singer, and I'm here with my co-host and friend, Bart Kaler. Ever wonder if there's still magic in flipping actual pages in our scroll-and-click world? And if so, is that magic worth the extra expense that comes with it? Well, this is a topic that continues to be considered and debated on campuses daily, so we thought we'd discuss it here on the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. Yeah, I love that, Troy. That's a a great way to lead the podcast off is that I think there's a lot of confusion out there about budgets and whether is it worth it to be sending out print mailings and the fulfillment costs of that. But I think it's pretty exciting in the conversation that we had today with our guests about the fact that actually there's a lot of really good reasons that you should do that. Yes, they're all three proponents. And once we get into the episode, they will do a great job in introducing themselves. We have two representatives from business schools of Big Ten universities, and then also a consultant that they both work with and love. And you'll- She's great. Yes. You'll know the reason why. So here's our conversation of navigating the alumni communications in higher ed. Before we get into our conversation in regard to navigating alumni communications in higher ed, I would love for our panelists to each one introduce themselves briefly and then answer the question to give us something that you've learned recently and that you think would be interesting to share with our listeners. So Steve, if you would please start us off. Sure. My name is Steve Henneberry. I'm the Director of Strategic and Faculty Communications at the University of Minnesota's Carlson School of Management. So we are the business school uh, at the U of M. I have been thinking a lot about this question as an avid listener of the podcast. And so relatively recently, I had the opportunity to perform in a staff talent show where my talent was uh, a three-minute PowerPoint presentation on why you don't put ketchup on a hot dog. I grew up in Chicago (laughs) and had very passionate feelings about this topic. But I learned that the hot dog traces its roots all the way back to ancient Rome. And I had no idea uh, that the, the hot dog went back quite that far in our history. That is something new that I learned recently that has nothing to do with work. (laughs) That's awesome. And I bet the Romans didn't have ketchup. So there we go. (laughs) Mission accomplished, Steve. Rebecca, you are up. Thank you. So I'm the Director of Strategic Communications at the Tippie College of Business at the University of Iowa. And something new I've learned about recently is Bama Rush Talk. I'm kind of late to the game, but, you know, hear me out here. So I spent a good chunk of my time last week watching season three of this annual kind of social media phenomena that started during the pandemic. And it's in really incredible things for the University of Alabama's national recruitment, apparently. And to me, it's a really great example of how social media is leaning harder into the media side of social media. So less social, more media. 
And basically, it's kind of like the next iteration of reality TV, except the main characters are chosen by the viewer, which I find fascinating. And it's happening in real time. And there's no producer. And I just find this, I just, I'm like, my mind is blown by this. Thank you for my next binge, Rebecca. (laughs) Aaron, you are up. All right. Well, I'm Erin Peterson, and I own Capstone Communications, and we're an agency that helps. We help schools create more effective print alumni magazines through consulting, through major story, feature story packages, and redesigns. My fun fact is I've recently been very interested in the ways that humans and animals experience the world around them. And I just read An Immense World by Ed Yong, who's an amazing science writer. And I learned that dolphins use echolocation And when they echolocate a human in the water, they can perceive not only the person's outer shape, but like what's inside them, including their skeleton and their lungs. So I thought that was a very interesting and creepy fact that I (laughs) That is great. And I hope that sharks don't have the same ability because that means they can tell which one of us is going to be a better meal for them. But okay, I digress. (laughs) Steve. It's because of you that we are all together, and it came out of a conversation that you were having with Bart on what would a good conversation around navigating communications within advancement would be, and specifically around print, digital, and alumni magazines. So if you could, Steve, could you kind of tell us the reason why you've brought Rebecca and Aaron to the table, and that way we can proceed with our conversation? Yeah, happy to do that, Troy. So Bart led some really interesting discussions at the the conference, hashtag higher ed in Washington, D.C. about AI, generative AI and the future there. And one of the things that had struck me in my role, which I've been in about four years now, is how much I've come to love the print alumni magazine. And it struck me that oh, there's all this conversation around digital tools and their effectiveness and their, you know, they have a rightful place. Uh, in the communications landscape, but that would they would there be an interest for Bart and for you to talk about alumni magazines uh, that are printed? And so uh, Rebecca and I have very similar jobs uh, at two Big Ten business schools, and we've talked about this topic before. Um, she was also at the conference, so she was a natural person that I wanted to bring in uh, because they have done some really good uh, work to redefine sort of their strategy around the alumni magazine, which I hope she'll get into today. And then Erin happens to be based in the Twin Cities where I am as well. And she sends out probably the most helpful newsletter I get in my inbox, um, which is for alumni magazine editors. And so it felt incomplete uh, to not have Erin at the table and, and what she and Capstone Communication do for a wide variety of higher ed clients, I think is important. And she brings a real depth of experience to the conversation. So that's why we're all here. Thank you. And if we can continue into the conversation, because as Bart alluded to when we all got together a couple of weeks ago, a lot of advancement and alumni departments are trying to find ways to maybe decrease the amount of communication that is going out, or maybe better said, better management. And of course, we all know the expense that is attached to print and mail Both Bart and I really believe in that. But from your side of the table, being at the institution, and then we also have Aaron that works with a number of institutions, if you can kind of give us your perspective of where you currently feel Prince's place is within the alumni magazines and the communications that you send out. 
you know, in 2019, we embarked on a, a major redesign of our alumni magazine. And I've done a number of reskinning of magazines before. We were like, okay, let's update the branding and let's, you know, bring in some better storytelling. But this time around, I started a little differently. I went, I, I started with some focus groups because I was like, do we still need this anymore? Right? Because it's a huge budget line. And if our, if this is not resonating with our alumni, if it's not making the impact that we need it to make, then let's move on to something else. Let's redeploy the, these resources. And so, you know, we did a very robust um, project where we looked at, you know, we did lots of focus groups with a number of stakeholders. And one of the things I was particularly surprised by, like, I expected that older alumni would be like, oh, yes, we love the print magazine. But it was actually our young alumni that told me over and over again, like, oh, we love getting this. Like, we get so few things in print anymore that this is really special to us and we hang on to it and it's on our coffee table and we flip immediately to alumni notes to see if our friends are there and see if their photos are in print because, you know, they live in a digital world. So to have something tangible is really special. So that was really fascinating to me. And then you know, one of the biggest problems I think for people that edit alumni magazines is people are always like, but what's the ROI, right? And that's always been one of these things where just the bane of a magazine editor's existence, right? Like, ah, we can't demonstrate this. But one of the really nice resources that I have here at the University of Iowa is we had just hired in a huge team of data scientists who, you know, I was able to kind of work with them on like who we mail this to because, you know, we don't mail to all of our alumni because we just don't have the budget line for that. But then I was like, all right, how can we, if we're going to spend all this time and energy on this piece, who are the best people to mail this to? Like if we only have the budget to send to 15,000 people, like what, who are those folks? And so based off of things like how many times have they given money to the business school? Have they come back to speak in classes? Are they engaging with us on social media? That generated an engagement score. And so we started sending sending magazines to kind of people at the at the top of this engagement score. And, you know, we had two cycles of magazine after we had kind of redesigned content as well. And we used that data to, you know, for persona data to then kind of drive what we're content that we were putting in the magazine had two redesigned issues put out. And then I went back to our data scientists and I'm like, okay, Hey, I need an ROI on this one. Can you help me out? <laughs> and so, and all I was hoping for at this point was like, please, could you just tell me that they went up from like a 10 on a score to like a 15 or something like this. And they came back to me and they, they dropped this, you know, this big data thing on my desk that I'm like, I can't understand this. Can you just break it down? And they're like, okay, basically what you've done here is in the past year, the people that you've given money to have generated $6.4 million to your school based off of receiving this magazine. Like that's the only intervention that's happened here. And in particular, folks that weren't receiving a magazine previously who did start receiving a magazine and who had not given to the business school in the prior 10 years um, also gave to the tune of almost a million dollars. So that was to reignite, you know, alumni and especially when it's with their dollars was absolutely incredible. I love that story because I think it, it demonstrates the fact that you did some research earlier in the whole thing. And then you went back and you also were able to, you know, take that, the fact that you did send out it and ha what happened after that. And I think that's one of the things, I mean, yeah, you've, you're blessed at University of Iowa to have, you know, a team of data scientists. Some schools might not, but you can also kind of do some other, you know, down and dirty type of research to kind of get that. I mean, it might not be perfect, but I think that even just asking the question is the first place to start. Steve, are you finding things like that as far as in the way that you are engaging with your print magazine? And obviously, you know, I loved what Rebecca said too about the idea that there's this idea that especially Generation Z, 
are they're they're kind of it's it's new younger alumni i think they're looking for that uh nostalgic i mean i saw something on instagram the other day that a generation z was trying to explain what a cassette was and i was like oh my gosh because she even said i think maybe you just throw these away after you listen to it the first time she didn't know how to didn't know how to rewind it and that just blew me away but i mean there's a different perspective and this idea that that she was going to buy cassettes because she wanted to experience something that she hadn't experienced before. Maybe unpack that a little bit, Steve, and, and what you're seeing in the print. No, we, we've heard that from our younger alums too, a- anecdotally, right? That it's a disruptive, the magazine is a, is a disruptor, right? So we flood them with emails that they live their world digitally. So when you give them a high quality print product, that it stops them, right? It has that power for them to at least engage with the cover or you know flip to the, the class notes. And even if we, you know, get any alum to look at it from the mailbox to the recycling bin, that's still a victory in my book. We are not as far along in the data um, analysis as, as Rebecca and Iowa are, but I did get a recent stat from our data folks based on a survey that we did of alumni. So these were uh, about 34,000 alums in the response. The alumni magazine ranks as the main source of getting information about the school compared to the school website, social media, internet search, friends, colleagues, family, and other sources. So outside of email, the magazine is the top choice. And so that's, you know, reaffirming for me as as a magazine editor, but I I think speaks to why it's important to give people something in a different way than they're receiving other things from you. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, Steve, what's the frequency of your magazine? Uh, We print two times a year. So we come out in October and April. That's incredible that they're still seeing that as the number one source over those other things. Rebecca, how about you? Yeah, we we do twice a year, and it's in uh, September and March. That's great. Aaron, as you kind of hear all this, and obviously I, I'm sure some of our guests, our listeners will say, well, these are Big Ten schools with, you know, business schools. You know, maybe, they're, maybe their alumni are different than my alumni, and especially the younger ones. Help me understand a little bit, because, I mean, you work with a lot of different schools. So what are other schools that maybe more be of a traditional school that, that, that has, you know, that's the full alumni that are getting the alumni magazines? Are you seeing similar things there? Yeah. I mean, I guess the bottom line is that people really do alumni, like love alumni magazines sort of across the board, not just in these specific institutions. And I'll share just a couple of data points from Case that has a much wider perspective on that. So Case has an alumni magazine readership survey that has been completed by more than 200 institutions. And what they found sort of pretty consistently is that alumni prefer to hear from their college front in a print magazine format by 75% to 95% over online options only. So they really still do want that thing in the mailbox. Another piece of data is this is from 2020 that Case found that the top two channels that alumni prefer to get their communications um, in, as Steve mentioned, is email and print. Those are tied for the top two, and that's over your website, that's over um, in-person events, that's over social media. So print still really is important to your alums. As I'm sure you have known that the whole idea of artificial intelligence and especially things like chat GPT are really starting to transform higher ed marketing. I really don't want anyone on this podcast to be left behind. So I really want to invite you to join the top minds in higher education at the inaugural Higher Ed Marketer Virtual AI Summit. It's going to be on October 24th. And in just one day, you're going to be able to discover practical strategies to leverage AI as your marketing collaborator and walk away with a lot of new skills as you do that. 
During the summit, you're going to learn how to create personalized outreach at scale, streamline content creation, boost your productivity, and so much more. Join Troy and I as we learn directly from innovative leaders and many of those who have been our past guests, including Jamie Hunt, CMO at Old Dominion, Brian Piper from University of Rochester, and Kyle Campbell, the education marketer. You're also going to be meeting several of our new friends, such as Rafi Dushinin of ERI Design, Dr. Gil Appel of the George Washington University School of Business, Dr. Jules White of Vanderbilt, and Artis Kadu from Element 451 and Austin Marshall on how to use AI for your graphic needs. Seats are limited for this can't-miss event. Visit thehigheredmarketer.com, that's thehigheredmarketer.com, and use code PODCAST for 20% off your ticket. There's also rates available for groups of tickets, so you can find out more at the site. I want you to unlock the power of AI to enhance enrollment, giving, and beyond at your institution. Join us on October 24th. That's great. And just for the audience, if you're not familiar with CASE, it's the Council for the Advancement and Support of Education. We had Terry Flannery on an earlier episode from CASE. And I think you can find out a lot of great information, case.org. And there's probably more than likely your institution is a member. So check that out. And they have a lot of really great resources. So as we kind of unpack that a little bit further before we get to Troy's next question, what are you seeing as far as how that is kind of impacting? I mean, Rebecca, you talked a little bit about, you know, being able to kind of go back and look at some of the the actual data, and, and Steve, you alluded to that as well. Aaron, do you have any insights on that as well? I mean, do you, other clients, are, are, you, are they seeing enough of an ROI to say, wow, we need to really invest in more storytelling and more ways that we can, you know, leverage this to really, you know, if this is the number one way that people expect their news, maybe we should need to start expanding it rather than contracting it. What, what, what are you seeing with that? Well, I wish that were true. Uh, I would say for the most part, people, a lot of people have reduced the frequency in part because of major paper shortages that have really created dramatic cost increases. But what I will say is there was during COVID, a lot of people went to online only with their magazines and they found that alumni did not like it. And so while they may not be going back to the, the kind of frequency, the sort of quarterly frequency that they may have had in the past, they are going back to print. That's good to know, because I think that it's, it, it needs to be an and, and, you know, rather than an either or, it needs to be an and type of way to look at everything. So I think that's, I think that's some encouraging news. Just like Aaron said, a lot of the communication has been shifting over the years to digital platforms. So would love to hear your advice as it comes to how to best integrate print digital platforms or maybe some of the other ways that you are creating this mesh of communication for your alumni. So if I can ask Stephen to please answer that first. Yeah, so I'll start by saying that we're lucky um, at the Carlson School to have uh, a resource on our institutional advancement team um, that leads up communications. And so she's an important colleague for me to make sure that you know, the strategies that we have are being employed. Um, and, and really, you know, they, we look to them to set what their goals are for engaging with alumni, and then we figure out how marketing communications can support that, right? And so um, one, a couple of the things that we've tried to do is be more aligned with how we're sharing information. And so you know, we, we put a lot of time and effort into producing a really nice print magazine. How do we take those stories in between April and October and get mileage out of them so that alumni who don't see it in print might see it in digital and are we pushing them out to those different things? We also heard from our alumni that you know they're looking for ways that they can pick and choose, right? So some of them asked us to do a podcast related to some of the, the stories in the magazine. And we've started putting in QR codes 
in the magazine. For example, in our last story, a cover story about an alum who leads flight operations at the Kennedy Space Center down in um, Orlando for NASA. So we, we had a great story, some really stunning uh, visual photography, but we linked a QR code to go to a video where you could watch that as well. So, you know, do we have a huge take rate on that? No, but you know, it's 241 more people than we would have reached otherwise. And so it tells me that it's worth continuing to find those ways for alumni to choose how they engage with the content we create. I love that idea. And Rebecca, are you guys leveraging any of those types of things or what are you seeing in those type of communication channels? Yeah. So I guess one of the things that's sort of helpful to me is I oversee not only our alumni magazines, but also our social media channels too. So just, we have, I think oftentimes we get super siloed and I think, you know, Steve's team is a great example of like breaking down those silos and like, how are we working together across all of these different avenues? Right. And so there's a couple of things that we've done that have been really helpful. One is, you know, we bring in not only our social media team, into the story ideation sort of process, but also some folks um, on our alumni team as well. So then for things like our webinar series, like we try to align some content with them where we're like, okay, we know, for example, we had heard from a lot of alumni that they're kind of freaked out about AI right now, right? Like they're like, and one of the big questions is we we had a we had a webinar back in the spring where it was just talking kind of broadly about developments with Chat GPT and AI, and over and over and over again in the questions were are all these questions about like, hey, what does this mean for my career? What do I need to do now to like you know, take care of myself as, as all these things develop and the world is crazy. And so, so we developed a, you know, based off of that, you know, piece of sort of immediate feedback, we developed a research-based story about like how to future, how to AI proof your career. And then we have an option working with our, with our webinar team to then for them to go and sign up for a webinar that we're going to offer after the magazine hits. So it's like, they'll read the issue in the magazine. You want to go deeper sign up for this webinar and learn even more and be able to, you know, have your questions addressed in real time. Also on the social media side of things, like we had a great story where we have a great story coming out in September about this woman that is working at Duncan Hines and she worked with Dolly Parton and we went up to Chicago and did a great photo shoot with her. But so we took a lot of content behind the scenes that were then able to, you know, the way that things are presented in print often don't translate to digital very well. And so you really have to, as you're creating these assets, and I think Steve is a great example with their, you know, the guy down at the Kennedy Space Center, you have to, at the same time that you're creating assets for, for your print magazine, you have to be creating assets for your digital as well. And and think about what is the, what's the digital version of this and how do we tell this story in a digital way that's beyond just like, here's a link to a story where we just dropped a whole bunch of words in a, yeah, on a web page. Yeah, that's great. Aaron, as I hear all of this, I, I'm, I'm thinking about, and I want to kind of hear what you think and what you're seeing at other schools too. Uh, I kind of think about, I'm a, a subscriber of Monocle magazine. I'm not sure if any of you are familiar with that, but the thing I love about Monocle is that it's more than a magazine. It's almost like a media empire. And so they do a lot of what, what Steve talked about. They've got a podcast. They've actually got several radio stations that are internet-based. They do what Rebecca says, where they have webinars. They have actually in-person, con- in-person conferences that, that they you know, host as Monocle. And so it, to me, it seems like you know, this combination of, of print and digital and media is kind of, uh, kind of maybe the next phase. I mean, what, what are you seeing kind of on the horizon there, Aaron, from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, it sort of depends on the institution. A lot of schools would look at this and say, we have a team of, you know, three or whatever. I guess the only thing I'll say is that you can, you really can integrate pieces of the digital work you're doing and with social media and your website and things. A couple examples that I have seen of that 
is Cassie Sprouls at the University of Tennessee did some amazing work. She did her master's degree looking at the sort of mixing alumni magazine, print alumni magazines with social media and how to do that most effectively. Because she did her entire master's degree on this topic, like I can't get too far into it, but she found that one of the most successful ways to do that, if you want to take something from your print publication, put it online without doing the entire thing, any of your nostalgia stories are going to be a huge hit. So whether it's a tradition or a big deal event that happened 50 years ago that everyone remembers, that one will be, be a hit. The other thing I would say with in terms of the, doing that integration that I've seen is folks have used their social media as sort of a pretest to see, is this going to have legs in the magazine? If we're going to spend a lot of time and money putting something out in print, will it be successful? So as one example, I worked with McAllister on this story called The Professor Who Changed My Life. And so that was something they just put out on social media. And they said, tell us about the professor who changed your life. They got tons of responses. And we were like, of course, we need to do this story for the magazine. And we took those responses, reached out to a lot of those folks, and then were able to do a very different story in print. But we knew from the start that it would be successful because of that sort of pretest that we'd done. That's exciting. And I love the opportunities there to even kind of go deeper on the web to get community engagement and user-generated content on that as well. So I love that idea. And I know we'll go a little bit deeper on some of the other digital print integrations here in a moment. Okay, I want to go back a little bit more. Rebecca, you had some, said some things earlier about kind of this print and digital type of thing. And help me understand a little bit about more of just how you're leveraging these different teams on your, in your area and how you're doing this integration with the print and the digital. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when I started in this in this industry in this role because I've been editing alumni magazines for a long time, but you know, we always had this very we were we we're kind of at the end of the print first kind of notion of things and starting to move to more of the digital first version of how we approach these things. And I think how that applies in an alumni like alumni magazine or alumni communication sort of situation there is that you know, when we put together a whole book, right, that takes for us, at least since we're doing it on a six month cadence, you know, we're, we're planning things way, way out. And then we have them completed many months before they actually land in someone's mailbox. And some of these stories are, they probably, they needed to be told sooner than when they're actually going to be hitting mailboxes. And so we, in some cases have taken, pulled certain stories and deployed them out into digital spaces before they hit before they hit a mailbox and there's a couple of good things about that some of it is timeliness with some of these communication pieces and the other piece too is it's a really nice teaser and preview to get people to then well one of the ways that we also decide who we mail to mail our list to is that we if someone has updated their mailing address with us in the past two years so even if they've not engaged with our business school in any capacity, like for the entirety of their alumni time here, if they have bothered to go to our website and say, this is where I live, we will send them a magazine. And so then if they have happened to encounter like, oh, this is a story I'm really interested in. Oh, it's going to be in a print publication. Hey, I think I want this. And then, and we've seen a lot of success with that. That's great. I love that. Steve, how about you? Are there, are there ways that you guys are kind of being strategic in that as well? One of the most common requests I get is when people have a story idea is they want it in the alumni magazine. So great that, <laughs> that they want that and that they know that that's sort of the flagship publication that we have. But, you know, Rebecca outlined, we, we have a long window where we have to, you know, do the magazine. It's many months in advance of when it's going to actually, you know, hit people's mailboxes. And so I was talking about the toolbox that we have, right? The toolkit. So 
you know, if even if we can't get something into the magazine or, you know, it's not going to be a, a feature story that you you want, we can do other things through our social media, through our website, through email to share that story. And just because, you know, we're not doing something big and blown out for print magazine doesn't mean it's not a worthy story, but we, you know, try to have those conversations. You know, for example, our international, our global institute celebrated a 15-year milestone of the international experience requirement that we have for graduates at the Carlson School in 2023. And so, you know, they were looking for a feature story and we said, yes, like this, this makes sense, but we're not going to do it in a way that just is us patting ourselves on the back for being one of the first business schools to do this. So, you give us a list of students that had impact, life-changing, transformative experiences. Let's make sure that we cover as much of the globe as possible, as many different kinds of students and backgrounds and identities that we can. And let's put five vignettes forward in this magazine that, that really speaks to the value and the, the, the transformative effect of this. We get across the same thing, right? Like we're doing something cool here, but it's not overt sort of rah-rah, let's uh, position the school. I think that we then can translate those vignettes into digital first stories, right? We're able to get across the meaning of a story. If somebody doesn't want to commit 2000 words of their time, that's fine. They can read one or one quote and get the meaning of it. And so we, we have to be mindful of our consumers when it comes to where they're looking for information. And it's not all in the alumni magazine. I love that. And I love the fact, I mean, you kind of alluded a little bit to the Don Miller story brand you know, framework type of thing where you make the, make the user, the reader, the hero of the story rather than your institution, which, uh, you know, there's going to be heroes in there. You're focusing on the alumni. And I, I love that. Aaron, how about you? What are some of the other approaches that you see at some of the other schools and in the way they're, they're taking a look at that? I guess with regard to, you know, digital first or uh, print first, some people get very protective about their magazine. They want it to be sort of all come on at once and have this beautiful gift and experience. I am not so precious about it. I feel like you know, I had a mentor once tell me, you know, when I was like, well, I just want this, I just want the print to go up first and then the digital, who cares? And they were like, you know what? I was like, what if they read the digital first? And he's like, you should be so lucky that people would read the digital or the print. So any way you can get your great stories out there, you should do it. And the time really doesn't matter. Just like really make sure that your stories are out there in a variety of different ways. So I, yeah, I guess I'm not sure I have anything beyond that, but yes, like go hard, go hard on that. Yeah, I love that. And I think that sometimes we forget how good we have it if people are paying attention. I mean, especially in higher ed, I think sometimes in higher ed, I mean, we do have a built-in audience that is interested in what we're doing. They are wanting to take a look at it. And I think to your point, Aaron, you know, if they're reading it on digital, if they're reading on on print, if they're reading it, hey, you know, go team. That's a great type of thing to look at. And so however we can get that out there to, to help them. And I think that too, I mean, before we kind of kind of wrap things up, one last little thing I wanted to just mention, if it's okay, Troy, is that, you know, I, I've been talking to a lot of the small schools that I work with and, and, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, we don't know where to get stories. You know, the alumni department doesn't give us the information that we need or, or whatever it might be. And this is a lot of times it's marketing. And, and so I've kind of encouraged them to go to LinkedIn and, and just use that incredible tool that's out there. And I know that you're all using that. So maybe just give everybody a, a quick thumbnail about how you're utilizing a tool like LinkedIn to augment what you might know internally. So Rebecca, tell me a little bit about that. 
Yeah, I mean, we definitely have used LinkedIn to find great stories. And in fact, our our uh, Duncan Hines Dolly Parton alum that came from Facebook, like she, or sorry, from LinkedIn. I mean, she she posted this great picture. like, hey, it's an alum and Dolly Parton. And we're like, what the crap? Is this? Right? <laughs> yeah, I got to figure that one out. Yeah. Right. So we're like, let's find this story. Right. And then, you know, the other thing, too, it's sometimes it's just going and talking to faculty, too, because oftentimes they have they keep connections with people and can. That, that's always that's always been another avenue to me to just go and walk hallways and and talk to people and say like hey are any of your former students doing anything really cool and we we found so many great stories that way too yeah i think that sometimes people forget that students are connected by affinity more than they're connected by the institution and so you you all are kind of an affinity already with the business schools but even within there there's affinities with the the exact professors so steve how about you yeah, big credit to Allison on our alumni relations team who puts together the class notes for us, and she's stalking people on LinkedIn left and right. Uh, but you know, it's it's really important, and you know, one of the, it, just like Rebecca's story about Dolly Parton, Duncan Hines, there was a class note from a graduate from a class in somewhere in the 1950s that he was beca- he was going into his 60th, sixth year CEO of a company, and I was like, what? We're gonna talk to that guy. And so he, you know, he's a character and a half and he was so grateful that we reached out and wanted to share his story. And, you know, it was a really easy profile of like, okay, you've been a CEO for 60 years. A lot of business students have that as an aspiration. What have you learned? Right? How have you done this? And we got that just by looking at class notes. Uh, another way to use it is, you know, when you're, when you have a story, like we, we have a big HR master's degree and we looked at, okay, COVID HR has become prominent, you know, for, for employees, like, what are our HR leaders? So you can look at class notes and figure out who's working where, right? And then you can go check LinkedIn to see if they're still there. So you can kind of piece together um, things from your class notes just by where people work, what industries they're in or what companies they're in, because you know, they, they don't have to tell you that, right? They're, they're putting it on LinkedIn. And if you see something that you are more than welcome to reach out to them, they're putting it in a public place, right? So they're inviting that sort of outreach. And we've had really positive reception from alumni, faculty, staff, students, whoever we're reaching out to. That's great. Aaron, how about you? Are you are you consulting your clients on the use of social media for those types of story ideas? Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing I would say, I, I sometimes I come in a little bit later in the process, so I don't always see that. But I, I will say when you're talking to folks for stories, if you've got reporters on stories or things like that, have them ask the people, the alumni you're talking to, who else should we be talking to? Um, that I, I think that, you know, you, you can get so focused on what are we trying to accomplish with this person and this task and this story, but the folks that you're talking to often have connections that you wouldn't recognize uh, on your own. That's great. I do think that um, I'm just going to put a prediction here in August of 2023 is that sometime in the next you know year, somebody's going to develop some AI that's going to basically scrape alumni information off the web. Wouldn't that be dreamy? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be dreamy to be able to just have a place that you can you know have a little database that you could just do a little quick search and it's all right there. So I'm sure that's coming. So Troy, I'm going to let you kind of finish it up. Sure. And for my last question, I'm going to pose it first to Aaron with Steve and Rebecca to follow. If you have either a final thought or maybe a piece of advice that could be easily or quickly implemented by a listener in regard to our topic today, what would that piece of advice be? 
Yeah. So uh, I think when it comes to alumni magazine, print alumni magazines, uh, a lot of folks are working with very shoestring budgets and they're like, well, if I've got resources, where do I focus them? And I always tell people, focus them on your covers. Uh, your job is to get them to take it from their mailbox to their coffee table. And the best chance that you have to do that is with your cover. So if you've got any extra budget, you should be spending your time and your resources making the cover the very best that it can be. Thank you, Aaron. Steve, what would your piece of advice be? Rewind and listen to the LinkedIn conversation that we just had. I think there's some really good things we can do there. I'm going to, I'm stealing, I'm going to go more than one here. Sign up for Aaron's newsletter, which I hope is in the show notes. And then number two, number three, I guess, would be to look at a past issue of your alumni magazine, if you have one, or find one from another college. You should be able to get your hands on one, you know, maybe go look at the case award winners, for example. But just look, look at, flip through them and look and see how they're telling stories about people. One of the things that we've really tried to focus on, you know, is telling really good stories about compelling people. And so just see how people do that, right? It's not always through words, but it's through photos and, and illustrations and graphics. And so I think just, you know, we every magazine that we get in the building, I flip through and I look for inspiration there. And I really try to think, look at how are people telling stories about other people? Uh, and I think that's really powerful. Thank you. And that was a very powerful response. Rebecca, your turn. Okay. So I'm mad at Steve because he stole my he stole my thing. So, <laughs> which Aaron didn't know I was going to say this, but I was going to say, oh, go sign up for Aaron's newsletter. It's getcapstone.com. It's very good, especially if you're working on a story that you're just like, I cannot unlock how to tell the story in a compelling way. Like she has so many great examples of different approaches to things, and it's really incredible. Like her website, just in general, but then having having that email show up on, on a regular cadence is super helpful, especially especially as creative. Sometimes we can get a little bit bogged down, and it's it's a really great tool as you're trying to think about like what are different ways to tell these kinds of stories. So. If I was going to suggest anything else, you know, if you're in a world that doesn't have an alumni magazine at this point, I would hope that you also have, at a minimum, have some kind of email that goes out with some kind of regular cadence. You know, we, my office has, we do an alumni email once a month that has, you know, it's highly curated with, you know, just a number of kind of, you know, here's some stories and pieces of things that we think are, would be useful to alumni. See if there's a way that, you know, that's a low cost, sort of low, fairly low um, energy way to kind of get into the space of starting to communicate with alumni. And sometimes just getting that toe in the water is the thing that can then allow you to eventually, hopefully gain more resources and to be able to put out a print piece. Thank you, Rebecca. And thank you to all three of you. And I hope that you would not mind if we put your contact info out there so people that would like to discuss this with you further could do so. And Aaron, since you've been recommended and your newsletter has been recommended, could you let us know how you would prefer to be contacted and how someone can sign up for your newsletter? Yes. So you can con contact me through my website and you can sign up for my newsletter there. It's at getcapstone.com. If you email me, I'm at Aaron at getcapstone.com. I've got a list of 57 alumni magazine rules. If this is interesting to you, I go really deep. And if you just like put higher ed marketer in the subject line, I will send it to you and, and you'll get that. Thank you. And that was Aaron Peterson. And she is the founder of Capstone Communications. 
Rebecca, how could someone reach out to you? Sure. You can reach out to me via email, which is great. It's Rebecca, R-E-B-E-K-A-H dash Tilly, T-I-L-L-E-Y at uiowa.edu. Thank you. And she is with the Tippy College of Business at the University of Iowa. And finally, Steve. Yeah, it's uh, my last name. So Henneberry, H-E-N-N-E, B as in boy, E-R-R-Y at U-M-N dot E-D-U. Um, happy to chat with anybody who wants to, to chat. With the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota. Again, to the three of you, thank you for a very robust conversation. Bart, do you have any final thoughts to share? Yeah, I just wanted to kind of uh, pull up a couple things that that kind of I reflect on as I, I think about this episode. I mean, print is not dead. So if anybody tells you that, tell them to listen to this episode. You know, print has a great deal of ROI, a great deal of opportunity for you to really use that not only to, uh, I mean, we talk a lot about fundraising, but there's also a level of friend raising. And I think print really helps do that friend raising that then leads to fundraising. And so I really thought that there was some really good things about that here. Also remember that, you know, combining the print with the digital, it's, it's not an either or, but it's an and. And so really trying to figure out those, you know, clever ways with whether it's videos or whether it's extended content that, that is on the digital platforms. I think it's really good. Also really love the idea that Generation Z and, and younger millennials and even the upcoming Generation Alpha, they're going to be interested in, in these nostalgic types of opportunities. And having a print magazine is one of those things. I, I predict that in the upcoming years that frequency is going to probably increase again because I think there's going to be a demand for that because it's it's been missing for so long. And then I think that I really liked what Aaron said about really focusing on your cover. If you need to focus on one thing, it's kind of like the way we ha- talk about social media where we've got to get, get them to stop the swipe. It's the same way in every place. I mean, we've got to really get them to open the cover to, to engage. And so that's got to, that first impression has to be really thought out. And then I really also just wanted to encourage everyone that, you know, we've got a lot of great resources here. I think Steve and, and Rebecca both kind of talked about, you know, looking at other magazines, talking to other people. Erin mentioned some resources that she has in case that has. I just want to keep everybody keep in mind that, you know, at the end of the day, we're all rowing in the same direction to get more people engaged in higher education to improve our, you know, our culture and our society. You know, you could argue, oh, Steve and, and Rebecca are, are competitors. I can't, I can't believe they're on the same podcast. But you know what? At the end of the day, they're not. They're, we're all doing the same type of thing. And so reach out to these people. Talk about things. Talk to other people. There's a great community around this podcast and many other ones that are all about higher education. Go to the AMA conference. Go to case conferences. There's a lot of ways and there's a lot of resources out there that everybody wants to help. And that's one thing I love about higher ed is that there's there's just a willingness of community. So those are probably more thoughts than you asked for, Troy, but those are just a few of my considerations. As always, Bart, very well said. Thanks to everyone for a wonderful, informative, and feel-good episode. I'd also like to extend my gratitude to our producer, Rob Conlon, at Westport Studios for keeping us on task, on time, and helping us sound good. The Higher Ed Marketer podcast is sponsored by Kaler Solutions, an education marketing and branding agency, and by Ring Digital, achieving more enrollment funnel conversions by providing accurate touches direct to the devices of the enrollment list you have. On behalf of Bart Kaler, I'm Troy Singer. Thank you for joining us.
You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. The Higher Ed Marketer is a production of Kaler Solutions and Ring Digital in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by guests on The Higher Ed Marketer are their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of their organization. Know someone who's a mover and a shaker in higher ed marketing? Visit www.higheredmarketerpodcast.com and click on our Contact Us page. We'd love to have you tell us about them. Until next time.